A season of pleasure in exchange for a lifetime of hurt, a lifetime of guilt, and a lifetime of pain. But joy you will receive if you learn to obey God in faith. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 13. The bulk, the most of the sermon will be, will remain in 1 Kings 13. But for the sake of the scripture reading, we'll only be reading the first verse. 1 Kings 13, 1. Which will talk about the character, the main character of tonight's story. 1 Kings 13, 1. And when you are there, uh, please read it out loud with me. And behold, there came a man of God out of Judah by the word of the Lord unto Bethel. And Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. Now, as a way of introduction, let's talk about endings. Now, endings, they can make or break a great series. Whether it be a book series, or a movie trilogy, or a game, or a playoffs of a sports team, whatever else, the ending holds incredible value. Now, there's nothing worse than being so enthralled by something and captivated, captivated by something only for it to have a lousy and horrible ending. Now, uh, the first example that came to my mind of a, of a lousy ending was the San Antonio Spurs 2017 playoff run. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've... Uh, the only sport I've ever followed was the NBA, and the only, ever, the only team I've ever followed was the San Antonio Spurs, all the way out in Texas for some reason, not even the Toronto Raptors. But that year was the last year that the Spurs really had a chance of winning it all, the championships. And the first matchup they had in the playoffs were against the strongest and by far the strongest team in the West, Pastor Tim's favorite, the Golden State Warriors. But many analysts, NBA analysts, professionals said that if there was a team capable of dethroning the Warriors that year, it would be the Spurs. And halfway into the first game, it looked like the analysts were spot on. The Spurs were up by 20 points against the best team in the NBA. And in the beginning of the third quarter, the Spurs were able to extend that lead by 10 more points, a total of 30-point lead against the number one team in, this, in the NBA that year. And this was a surprise to many. Even to myself, who was a big supporter of the Spurs, even I didn't think they were, they were capable of that. And this could have been one of the greatest matchups of that year. Now, the key word, unfortunately, was could. Out of nowhere, in the third quarter, because of a big man named Zaza Pachulia, the Spurs' most important player, both the best defender and the best offensive scorer, got injured. Not, he was out, and not just out of that particular game, but it was injured for the rest of the playoffs. Now, you might be thinking, they're already winning by 30 points. What, all they have to do is keep that significant lead. There's only 12 minutes on the clock. This should be a piece of cake to at least win one game. But nope. The Warriors went on to recover that 30-point deficit, and they were able to win the game by 10 points. Horrible for the Spurs. 
The loss of their best player was way too much for them to be able to handle. And actually, they ended up being swept by the Warriors 4-0 that year. The year which I, when I thought that they had a chance of winning the playoffs, they weren't even able to win one game. Now, a truly horrible ending, like the one I just mentioned, can ruin an entire series. And for a while, I lost faith in this team. <laughs> and no matter how much I adored the regular season, it didn't matter if the ending was, such, so, was so lousy. Now, what makes an ending lousy? Well, to tell you the truth, endings are always subjective. In my case, all right, some people, a lot of people disagree with me, I love happy endings. There's a lot of film critics there that they, they bash on happy endings because it's too cliche or too predictable, but I could care less. I'm not a film critic. I love happy endings. It may, it may be the hopeless optimist in me, but I always desire for a story to end on a positive note, not a tragic one. I mean, is that always the reality? No, that is not the case. Many times in the world, there are tragic endings. But I like happy endings. And in general, I don't think anyone really seeks and tr tries to find tragedy. Because all, honestly, it just fills me with sorrowful thoughts. I like to be on the opposite spectrum. I like to be filled with positivity and optimism and happiness. But nevertheless, even if we don't like them, tragic endings occur and they abound in scripture. Even if we don't desire them, even if we don't like them, they're a reality. But they are still very beneficial for the Christian believer because through these tragedies, there's a great lesson to be learned. Now our story tonight will be centered around a tragic event found in Kings, well, 1 Kings 13. It is about a man of God who would have great honorable start, but unfortunately a very lousy ending. And from his story and from the events that transpire in this chapter, I pray that we can glean the important truth through it all. But before I begin, let us just open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that you would speak through me tonight. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to the hearts of those listening. I pray, Lord, that you would enable me to uh, preach your message and just fill me with the spirit of gentleness as I deliver your word. And I pray this all in your name. Amen. Now, the first part of this story is the message delivered. The message delivered. God sent this unnamed prophet from Judah to deliver a message to King Jeroboam. And we'll get to King Jeroboam later on. And what was this message that he was delivering? Well, we'll find it in the same chapter, 1 Kings 13, and I'll read verse 2 and 3. And this was his message. And he cried against the altar in the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord. Behold, a child shall be born unto the house of David, Josiah by name. And upon thee shall he offer the priests of the high places that burn incense upon thee. And men's bones shall be burnt upon thee. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord hath spoken. Behold, the altar shall be rent, and the ashes that are upon it shall be poured out. Now, at this time, the nation of Israel had just divided. King Jeroboam had the support of the ten tribes, and he was the king of Israel. And Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, was the king of the, the other kingdom, the, the, the nation of Judah. And they had divided now, Jeroboam was leading Israel 
into very wicked idolatry. He had just come from Egypt, and he had just come back from Egypt, and when he returned to Israel, unfortunately, he brought some of their idolatrous worship practices back to the land of Israel. And he was not only built, not not only did he build uh, uh, calf images in Bethel and Dan to be worshipped, but he was also building high places all around Israel to be, uh, for people to burn incense upon. When incense was burned upon, it was supposed to be dedicated to Lord God Jehovah. But Jeroboam was making these high places for people to burn incense to these false gods. And God sent this young man in 1 Kings 13 to rebuke King Jeroboam, and to tell him that in a couple of generations, everything that you built will be destroyed by a man named, by a kid named Josiah. Did the prophecy come to play, uh, uh, actually happen? Well, 330 years later, in 2 Kings 23, 19 to 20, it says, And all the houses, also of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which the kings of Israel had made to provoke the Lord to anger, Josiah took away and did to them according to all the acts that he had done in Bethel. And he slew all the priests of the high places that were there upon the altars and burned men's bones upon them and returned to Jerusalem. That is the first sign that this young man was a man of God. The prophecy that he delivered that day, that message that he delivered that day came to pass. His message was from God. Now, how did King Jeroboam react to this rebuke? Well, obviously not well. In verses 4 to 5, it says, And it came to pass when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God, which had cried against the altar in Bethel, that he put forth his hand from the altar, saying, Lay hold on him. And his hand, which he put forth against him, dried up, so that he could not pull it in again to him. The altar also was rent, and the ashes poured out from the altar, according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. After hearing this rebuke from the man of God, King Jeroboam obviously got disgruntled by his message and and sought to lay lay his hands on him, to maybe capture him and to put him in a dungeon or in jail, maybe even to be executed later on. Jeroboam, that uh, that would be something that he would do. But when he laid his hand on the man of God, what happened? His hand dried up. When he tried touching the man of God, God protected the prophet and dried Jeroboam's hand up. This can only mean, this supernatural protection can only mean that this prophet was a genuine messenger of God. There were many false prophets at that time, there were many ungodly priests at that time, but this man was not one of them. He was a bona fide man of God. Now, after faithfully completing the work that God set him out to do, after rebuking and, and delivering the message to King Jeroboam, and after restoring King Jeroboam's hand after he asked for mercy, King Jeroboam then invited this prophet into his place, into his palace to feed and reward him. But he refused. Now, why would he refuse to be rewarded? Well, God gave him another command to follow. 
In verse 7 to 10 of 1 Kings 13, it says, And the king said unto the man of God, Come home with me and refresh thyself, and I will give thee a reward. The man of God said unto the king, If thou wilt give me half thine house, I will not go in with thee. Neither will I eat bread nor drink water in this place. For so was it charged me by the word of the Lord, saying, Eat no bread, nor drink water, nor turn again by the same way that thou camest. So he went another way, and returned not by the way that he came to Bethel. Even with the allure of being rewarded by the very king himself of Israel, a man who had all the possessions of that kingdom, even with that allure of being rewarded, this young prophet didn't budge from God's command. He obeyed it fully. He even said in a way, even if you give me half of your house, King Jeroboam, I still wouldn't accept your invitation to come eat in your house and drink water in your house. Even with the allure of many great rewards, he was unwilling to disobey God. Now this was a very admirable prophet. God commanded him not to eat or drink at Bethel because of the fact that Bethel has become this idolatrous city and Jeroboam was a key cog into leading Israel into idolatry, into, into apostasy. And the prophet knew, because of God's command, to not accept this king's invitation. And he had a choice to make here. Accept the invitation of the wicked king Jeroboam or obey God. And for this young prophet, the choice was very easy. He chose to say no to wickedness. He chose to say no to King Jeroboam, and he solely obeyed God. What a great start to his prophetical career. Now, if the story ended here, then it would have had a happy ending. A prophet who courageously delivered a rebuke to King Jeroboam and rejected the invitation of that wicked king. What a great story that would have been. Maybe we would have even learned this prophet's name. Maybe he would have had a larger prophetic role to play. Maybe to the level of Elijah, who his, his ministry was to refute King Ahab and Queen Jezebel's idolatry. Maybe he would have had such a significant prophetic role to play. But hinting at my introduction earlier, this story is far from over. And the second part of the story, first part was the message delivered, but the second part is, the command disobeyed. The command disobeyed. And you might be asking yourself, the command disobeyed? The very king of Israel had just offered him to come to my palace and eat and drink, and I'll reward you even. And he was able to reject that. How would this young prophet, who had such a great start, fall and disobey God? What, what could have possibly caused this young man to disobey God if he was even able to reject the very king of Israel? Well, we'll find out. After rejecting King Jeroboam's offer, the prophet started making his way home, keeping God's commands uh, close by and keeping it uh, in his mind. And at this juncture of the story, we are introduced to a new character. And these new characters either help save the day or help ruin the story. <laughs> and unfortunately, it's the latter. This new character was another prophet, another older prophet who lived in Bethel. Now that should raise some red flags, but we'll get to that later. He lived in the city of Bethel. He was an older prophet, 
And his sons had just informed him about this younger man, this younger prophet who delivered a rebuke to King Jeroboam. Now, for some reason, or uh, I don't really, I'm not 100% certain, when he heard about this young prophet, this older prophet asked his sons which direction he went so that he could catch up with him and talk with him and invite him. He wanted to meet this young prophet for some reason. And so his sons pointed at the proper direction of where to go, and he got up on his donkey, and he was of older age, so maybe he hobbled to his donkey, maybe rushing, because he was able to even catch up to the young man. He maybe even rushed so as not to miss the prophet. And eventually, he caught up to the young prophet who was resting under an oak tree. And we see their interaction in 1 Kings 13, 14 to 19, if you can follow along. 1 Kings 13, 14 to 19. And it says, And went after the man of God, and found him sitting under an oak. And he said unto him, Art thou the man of God that camest from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said unto him, Come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I may not return with thee, nor go in with thee, neither will I eat bread nor drink water with thee in this place. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, Thou shalt eat no bread nor drink water there, nor turn again to go by the, by the way that thou camest. He said unto him, I am a prophet also as thou art. And an angel spake unto me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with thee into thine house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied unto him. He lied unto him. So he went back with him and did eat bread in his house and drank water. This young prophet easily rejected the very tempting offer of the king. But when it came to this false prophet's invitation, for some reason, he fell for it. He wasn't able to keep his eyes on God. Though the passage, 1 Kings 13, never states that this older man was a false prophet. It is evident that he was. Maybe not a false prophet. Maybe it was a backslidden prophet. We don't know. One, this older prophet, he was willing to lie. He was willing to lie to get what he wants. He was willing to lie to deceive this young man of God. And he was even, able to, he was even willing to use the Lord's work and the Lord for his benefit and for his scheme. That's not something that a man of God would do. And two, hinting at from earlier, he was an older prophet who lived in Bethel Yet not once did he speak up against Jeroboam's idolatry. If he was really a godly prophet, he would have done either of two things. One, he would have moved to Judah where they were still worshiping Jehovah. Or two, he would have spoken up against Jeroboam and spoken out against idolatry. But he did neither of those two things, or it's never been stated that he did either of those two things. He just remained in Bethel doing nothing. So he was either a false prophet, a worldly prophet, or a prophet who just gave up. We don't know. But nevertheless, we do know that he desired to lead this young man of God astray. Now similarly, unfortunately, there are a great number of Christians who can easily say no to the world's invitation. Who can easily say no to wicked living. Who can easily say no to the world's invitations. 
who can easily say no to the King Jeroboams of this world. But these same Christians who can say no to the world, unfortunately, are often led astray by a man or woman who claim to be a Christian, but is actually a wolf in sheep's clothing. Pastor White was just hinting at that earlier, telling stories of Christians or people who profess to be Christians falling away from the faith. And these men and women have thousands and hundreds of thousands under their influence that they influence through their ministry. And unfortunately, a lot of these guys are not genuine believers and they're leading many astray. Christians are more on guard. We are more on guard. We are more defensive when it comes to interacting with the world. We, are, we have a shield that we put up and we already know that the world has nothing good to offer us. So in our minds, we already know to reject them. We already know to say, to, to say no to their invitations. But we often drop our guard when we are dealing with someone who claims and professes to be a man or woman of God. And this dropping of our guard is something that Satan is aware of. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, Satan was more than willing to use false messengers and wolves to cause God's children to disobey and to fall away from the faith, to backslide. And that moment that that false preacher has led us astray, we are now more susceptible to the invitations of the wicked. Things that we, usually, we, had, um, we had no difficulty saying no to before are now very tempting to us because now we are so far away from God because of these false shepherds. To illustrate this, many teenagers who have some knowledge of drugs, they can easily say no to hardcore drugs. If you go up to a teenager who is decently educated, if you offered him meth, if you offered him cocaine, if you offered him heroin, they would say, no, 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 I don't want to ruin my life with those things. They could easily say no to those hardcore drugs. But go to those same teenagers and offer them gateway drugs like marijuana, like alcohol, like nicotine. And nicotine is being consumed by the boatload because of these teenagers who are vaping nowadays. They get access. I, uh, I still remember when I was passing through my old high school, it, it, these children, they were in grade eight, but they looked, like, they looked much younger than grade eight. But they were all just passing around this pen and they were just all vaping, taking turns vaping. These gateway drugs are being consumed by the boatload by teenagers. Now, after taking these gateway drugs, these teenagers are now more susceptible to accepting those hardcore drugs that they had easily said and rejected before. You know, I'm not at all saying that every teen who's drank alcohol or has consumed weed will eventually become a hardcore meth addict. That's not at all what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that all those meth addicts, all those cocaine addicts, all those heroin addicts, they didn't just start off with cocaine and heroin. They started off with alcohol. They started off with nicotine. And eventually the high was not enough for them. And they sought for a, a better high. And eventually they fell into the, those hardcore drugs ruining their life in the process. I say this to warn you of the Christian influences that you let into your life. Maybe he's a Christian author you like. You love his books and you read every single thing he puts out. Maybe he's a Christian radio host, someone you listen to when you were traveling to work and from work. Maybe he's a Christian blogger if you're into that thing. 
Maybe it's a Christian content creator who makes YouTube videos or Instagram posts. Whoever it may be, whoever, whatever Christian influence you let into your life, make sure to compare their teachings to the unchanging truth of the Word of God. Every day, we ought to keep Psalm 25, verse 5 in our mind, which says, Lead me in thy truth and teach me. For thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. There are so many influences in this world that is seeking to grab us from the righteous path. The world and a bunch of false teachers are seeking to pull us out of the path of righteousness and lead us astray. We always need to be on guard. We always need to ask God to, for, for, to be led into the truth. Truth is not changing. It is not subject. It is not a relative. Truth what was truth 100 years ago will remain to be true today and will remain to be true in the next 100 years. We have to pray that God will lead us into that 100% truth and that, we can, that can only be done when we read the word of God and we compare the teachings of Christian people to the word of God, to God's word. This young prophet had an admirable start, easily denying the wicked king Jeroboam's invitation. But when a man who claimed to be from God lied to him, he fell into sin. And instead of obeying what God had told him to do, unfortunately, he took his eyes off of God and he trusted this false prophet and will suffer as a result. So the first part was the message delivered. The second part was the command disobeyed. And here comes the end. Three is the prophet's end. And here lies the tragic conclusion of this young prophet's story. Now it's even more tragic when you realize that these aren't just mere fables and mere parables that are just that never happened. This is a real event that transpired long ago. And we have this recorded down in the Bible. The result of his disobedience is found in verse 24 to 26, the same chapter, and follow along with me. And when he was gone, a lion met him by the way and slew him. And his carcass was cast in the way, and the ass stood by it. The lion also stood by the carcass. And behold, men passed by and saw the carcass cast in the way, and the lion standing by the carcass. And they came and told it in the city where the old prophet dwelt. And when the prophet that brought him back from the way heard thereof, he said, It is the man of God who was disobedient unto the word of the Lord. Therefore, the Lord hath delivered him unto the lion, which hath torn him and slain him, according to the word of the Lord which he spake unto him. Now this lion attack was not mere coincidence. This was divinely appointed by God to punish this disobedient prophet. Now, it's a known fact that lions, they only attack humans when they have no natural prey to feed upon or when, they are, when the humans show aggression. They don't attack humans naturally. And this lion had a choice to attack that donkey or to attack this young prophet, but he immediately lunged forward and killed and slayed the prophet of God. Not only that, it didn't kill to consume. He wasn't killing this prophet to eat him and to nourish his bone body. 
This lion killed, and he had left the carcass alone. He was just sitting idly beside the carcass. And after he killed the prophet, he didn't even bother touching any of the passersby, and he didn't bother killing the donkey. He just stood there, or sat there. We know that that lion was sent of God to punish this young prophet. This was such an honorable start to what could have been a long-running ministry that could have even equaled and rivaled Elijah and Elisha's ministry. We don't know. It's filled with what-ifs. But because he turned away from God in that one moment, he experienced a depressing and tragic end to his otherwise very promising career. Now you might be asking, all that for disobeying God? Seems a bit harsh, no? He disobeyed God that one time, and now he immediately got slain by a lion? Where's the justice in that? Now, today, we have the similar question leveled to us. Some people say that it's unfair that a person has to go to hell for eternity because he or she rejected the gospel. And they say that's unfair. A person who lived uh, virtually a good life all throughout his 40 years of living, but then because he didn't accept the gospel, he goes to hell for all of eternity. Where's the justice in that? The problem with that is a lot of them do not understand God's holiness and the, the, perfect, the perfection required to please and appease God's holiness. But also in Ephesians 5, 6, it says, Let no man deceive you with vain words. A young prophet... Unfortunately, he, was, he allowed himself to be deceived by that older prophet. Ephesians 5, 6, Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things, because of being deceived, cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. The core reason, the biggest reason as to why most men and women reject the gospel is because they are unwilling to ever be underneath God. They don't want to be accountable to Him, and they don't want to obey the principles that is required of a Christian. That wrath of God being spoken about in Ephesians 5, 6, that gets dispelled when we accept Jesus Christ. No longer is the wrath of God abiding upon us when we accept Him. But as long as you have never accepted Jesus Christ in your heart, unfortunately, you are a children of this. You're a part of the children of disobedience and the wrath of God stays upon you. Disobedience brings upon the wrath of God. Now God in His mercy, we can't forget about His other attributes and make God who He is. God in His mercy withholds His punishment. He could deal with us the same way He dealt with the prophet. He could kill us on the spot the moment we disobey Him. But that's not what He does. He is merciful. He withholds His punishment. But just because God in His mercy withholds what we deserve, that doesn't mean that we should go on and continue to disobey Him. Day after day, month after month, year after year. Even though we hear many sermons, even though we read our Bible many times, for some reason, we are still tempted to disobey every day. Now, though it is important that we have a fear of God, which is important, very important to have a fear of the Lord, The main motivation for our obedience should not be fear, but it should be that of a son or a daughter 
just lovingly obeying the commands of his heavenly father. John 14, 15 says, if ye love me, keep my commandments. If ye love me, keep my commandments. And I'm sure many of you know for a fact that you love God. So let us uphold that second part of that verse. If we love God, we have to do our best to keep his commandments. If you simply obey because you fear being punished by God's divine rod, then all your life you will be serving out of duty, devoid of any passion. It's, it's basically like a, a, an electronic campfire, you know. We, you've seen those fireplaces that they're not real wood, they're not a real fire being stoked. It's just a picture of a fire. And those things usually provide a level of warmth, but not a lot. And serving God out of duty is basically a light with no warmth. But when you start obeying his commands and you do it out of love because you love your heavenly father, your entire ministry, whether it be junior church, whether it be a choir leader, whether it be just a singer in the choir, maybe a tither, whatever it may be, when you start obeying him out of love, your ministry will be enveloped with just this holy zeal. You will be willing to do and go above and beyond what is expected of you. The lesson to grab from this young prophet's life is to simply have faith in God's word and obey. We've sang that hymn earlier on, trust and obey. Do not be led astray by the world, nor be deceived by false preachers, and there are many of them. But always keep your sight on God. Now that will be an impossibility, folks, if you never read your Bible and you never pray and you never listen to the sermons, it is impossible to keep your set on God when we're looking more towards what the world has to offer. We can only keep our set on God and know what the truth is if we have a close, familiar relationship with Him. In junior church, this was one of my favorite songs. A popular, a popular song to sing was always the obedience song. And the lyrics are this. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Doing exactly what the Lord commands, doing it happily. Action is the key. Do immediately and joy you will receive. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Now, I'm not going to finish the song. This is usually the point in which Pastor Tim does the sign language and I just never follow I just kind of go like this. But the song is, holds incredible truth for a children's song. Obedience is not only the very best way to show our faith and to show what we believe, but it is the very best way to live life. Unfortunately, many youth think that rebelling and going against God and following the world, and they think that that will bring them the greatest joy in life, is to just follow their heart. But unfortunately, that will only ever bring a season of pleasure. A season of pleasure in exchange for a lifetime of hurt, a lifetime of guilt, and a lifetime of pain. But joy you will receive if you learn to obey God in faith. Unfortunately, that young prophet could have had a very joyful ending and a very long tenure as a prophet. If only he kept looking to God and he, he, he ignored everything else, but he kept his eyes on God. 
Deuteronomy 5.33 asserts this promise. You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God hath commanded you, that ye may live, and that it may be well with you, and that ye may prolong your days in the lands which you shall possess. Now, one of these days is all, all, all the staff's hope, the church's staff hope that COVID restrictions will be, will be over very soon. Not, I hope we are hoping that it's not going to carry on to 2022, that we'll be open by the time of summer 2021. And eventually, COVID restrictions will go down and the church doors will swing wide open for all of you, all of the congregation. And when that time comes, let's decide now that we will get back to regular, faithful attendance and service. Regardless of what the present circumstances are, we can still obey God in many other areas. Just because there's COVID and there's a pandemic going on does not mean that we are incapable of obeying God's command. There are still many things that we can continue to do. We can faithfully attend each online service. We can continue to tithe and to uphold our faith promise giving and support worldwide missions. We can continue to share the gospel to our friends, family, and coworkers. And we can continue to serve in the fire brigade ministry every Saturday. And most of all, we can continue to read our Bible. We can continue to pray every single day. There are many things that we can do and that we can still show our, our, our obedience towards God. There is no valid excuse for disobeying God, even if it, there is a pandemic going on. So let us be diligent in this off-season and continue to faithfully obey Him. I'll end with a quote from A.W. Tozer, a mighty man of prayer, who said, I want deliberately to encourage this mighty longing after God. The lack of it has brought us to our present low estate. The stiff and wooden quality about our religious lives is a result of our lack of holy desire. Complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Acute desire must be present or there will be no manifestation of Christ to his people. He waits to be wanted, but it's too bad that with many of us, he waits so long, so very long in vain. Let us not keep God waiting and let us return to him and obey him immediately, starting tonight. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.